All right, gang. So welcome to another episode and extremely, extremely exciting conversation uh, at the podium with Manuel Mesqua. And today I'm super amped up to have a, a really special guest with us, uh, a longtime friend from my days in Chicago. He is now the CEO of Litera Microsystems, Avanish Marwaha. Avanish, welcome. Thanks, man. Excited to be have you be on the show with you and bring some Chicago to you. That was my, that was my, I felt like you missed the city. So I should bring some of it to my background. Yeah. I love it. And, and, and to, to, to no surprise of anyone who knows Chicago, there's construction going on. There's yeah, this is, it is, it's really ramped up. Um, this is the union station tower that's going up behind me. That's awesome. Well, so as, as you've seen uh, with other dear friends I've had on for a conversation, we always start with the same questions. I've actually now added a fourth because I've been excited when music comes up. So, but let's start with the first one. And what is your favorite color? Uh, so it used to be um, blue. That was the color du jour of my life. Um, it is now black. Uh, I've recognized just how much easier life is just wearing black all the time. And uh, yeah, I think I really just like what it does. It just, it just centers me very well. So I need to connect you with one of my very good friends in St. Louis, Ben Newman. He only wears black down yeah. to the shoes. Yeah. And it's His gone bad. It, it's, I feel bad saying it because uh my wife had told me a long time ago that i should be wearing black not blues and browns that was my legacy look um and i said you know what i just can't do it it doesn't look right on me um but you know manny you know my wife i've slowly now my wardrobe is is 10 black t-shirts and only black belts and black shoes so she she got her way slowly that's awesome. Uh, kudos to Minnie. Not, not, not her first victory and definitely not her last. Uh, <laughs> second, favorite afternoon snack? Popcorn. Awesome. Bye. It's easy. Favorite childhood superhero? Uh, mine's Batman, and it's still Batman. Man, that's why, that's, that's why we fell in love watching <laughs> the John Allen for a haircut like a that's decade right. ago. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's always been Batman. There will always be Batman. Um, I look forward to seeing more Batman in the future. Yeah, crazy story. So Avanish and I, uh, uh, you know, began our careers hustling in Chicago. And uh, here's this tall, you know, I mean, he's, he's a relatively good looking man. And, you know, walking out of the same building I walk out of week after week on the same Thursday, same time on Thursday afternoon and walking to the same place I walked to. To get a haircut, and right. and and finally one day he says something to me, and of course he immediately schooled me <laughs> on on a strategic growth conversation, specifically around periodization and running twelve week year and setting goals and short sprints, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I immediately was like, well, <laughs> like look, he was kind, he was polite about it, and we have a lot of things in common. I love hanging out with people that can help elevate and and uh that's the story is that right yeah. it's it's the right story and the fun part is i had the same amount of hair i had back then and i was getting i was going to a hair salon to get the few of them trimmed 
really was a reason of a break in the day. And then when we met, it was a reason to connect weekly for like an hour uh, on our walks. Yeah. I had yeah, no we, reason to go. I had no reason to go, <laughs> but for to hang out with you for an hour. Yeah, we literally would walk there together, sit in chairs next to each other, talk to each other the whole time, <laughs> and then walk yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, I was done faster than you because they were like, why are you here? You have no hair, but um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was fun and valuable for sure. Yeah, so let's not forget, though, we got off on the tangent, and he said Batman, who everyone knows, that is the greatest superhero of all time, and I can debate that with yeah. anyone. And yeah. so I'm really proud because of that. Because that person is a normal person, right? He didn't, yes. it wasn't like, it wasn't like, wasn't like, you know, he, he was dropped into a, uh, a farm or something like that. No, he was an average dude. Yes, absolutely. Right. Like dealt, dealt with the, the reality of mortality every single day and still chose on to take on, yeah. still chose to take on all villains yeah, and, and play their game in their way, like a villain, right. which is what I love. Yeah. Yeah, and he had a great car. <laughs> it's kind right. of, we actually, our vehicle, actually, we got our car. Uh, uh, it's uh, Matt Black, and I feel like it's a homage to, to Batman. I love it. So last question. This is the fourth one that I've added. Um, and and it, it came about because I found myself consistently speaking on panels or talking about, when talking about vision, I talked about the impact and influence that Cypress Hill had on my life when they dropped Skull and Bones in 2000 and the track was Rock Superstar. And I was like, hey, man, that's a dreamer track. That's a track about like, hey, you know, big house, five cars, living large, like living your best life. And uh, so now I really enjoy hearing what your favorite band album or track might be. So what resonates to me the most on a regular basis and has since I was in high school is Tupac, All Eyes On Me. Um, it is the, his entire album and catalog I celebrate <laughs> routinely. And it's, no one really knows that or like would expect that from someone like myself. But um, huge fan of his. I think he's a great poet and linguistic and the ability to tell a story with words. Uh, and bring emotion. He can ev evoke proper emotion through, you know, in one catalog or one album, you can go from talking about the love of a mother to his son to all the way down to the struggles on the streets. I think, I think, yeah, just powerful person uh, gone way too early. 100% agreed. No debate there. So Tupac, all eyes on me. If you've not made time to enjoy it you must I think right. there's others you, i could i could raise other ones that are routinely in the top 10 things that get someone excited like myself but this is a hidden gem that i keep to myself well and hey like over the next 40 45 minutes when you comment about something that makes you uh that inspires you to share an artist album or a track just give it oxygen bring it out fair all right well i'll, I'll try my best <laughs> so okay so so loved hearing those who is Avanish Marwahat today? Wow, intense uh, start here. So uh, I am the CEO of a B2B software company focused on the legal market, primarily looking to improve the work productivity of partners, lawyers, paralegals globally. 
giving firms more data and intelligence around how they make decisions going forward. That's where my day job is. My passion is my family, uh, my three-year-old daughter, um, who's way too funny and smart for her own good. Uh, my wife, who runs uh, our life and our family and is an entrepreneur herself. So that's who I am. I'm also born and bred in Chicago, live in the city. This is my town, uh, proud supporter of it. Um, and hope that we can make a positive impact in this community as a CEO headquartered in Chicago, but also we're a global company. So all major cities that we're in, we try to make an impact. So want to be impact for CEO as much as possible. So I, 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 I want to unpack what's been going on at Latera, the, the, the moves that you and your team have been making the vision for those moves, the strategy behind those, what, how culture is creating, driving some of that success, if not the majority of it. But, but there had to have been one or two chess moves you've made in your life leading up to your appointment as CEO in 2016 that you would say have had a meaningful influence on the trajectory and the path to that appointment. Can, can you share maybe one or those two one or two of those intentional chess moves that you've made in your life? Career-wise, it's always been betting on myself and taking the risks on me versus other, others doing it for me. And that has been something that I try to instill in our business and our people and our team as well, that at some point in time in your life and your career, you have to take your own steps and if there's, if, a door, if there's a door open for you, we cannot walk you through that door. You have to take the steps to go through that door to see the other side of what's available to you. And I've been very fortunate um, in my career to have a family around me that has said, you should take this risk. You should bet on yourself. And if you fall, we'll, we'll figure it out. And we'll, mm-hmm. it's not going to mean anything. We're not going to be upset if you fall. But we know that if you step through it and you're successful, the outcomes could be magnificent for all of us, community, for you, whatever. So I'd say it's been always, I can think of two or three moments in my career where the investment in myself or taking that bet and putting the chips on my space has been valuable. Um, So I, obviously I I have had an an inside I've had inside access to, you know, your trajectory over the last decade, and it's it's been a blessing and a privilege. There's a lot I've taken from it over time uh, when we sit down and philosophize. Um, talk to me, though, about that CEO within your home, Minnie, and, and, and her her executive presence, her, her ability to think strategically, and obviously an entrepreneur now, it just so many similarities between, I think, the blessings I have at home with Samantha. And, and so I have to believe there's maybe something specific uh, or something that she has consistently done that has created that mindset that you've had and that strategic approach to your success in business. Can you share one or two things that really stand out for you? You know, it's an extension of our boardroom, right? So where you may not get challenged by your peers in the office for ideas you make or take. Um, I think 
our time together has been her challenging me and asking questions that I'd be like, I don't understand why you're asking me that question that has no bearings on decision-making or making in the office. But in reality, it has framed some of the stuff we've done with our people and how we move, how fast we move. And it's just, you know, she's always been a good challenging sounding board of the opposite of what I think I'm doing. Um, and that's been quite advantageous to the speed at which we move at Latera is having, I have someone who's a strong opponent to decision-making, which is great. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And, and for the record, um, I will be uh, Kushi's campaign manager as she <laughs> goes for her first run for presidency of the United States of America. I declared that on Instagram, I think maybe a month or two ago. Uh, and uh, we will begin the fundraising soon. So um, more to she's come. Got on that. 30, she's got 32 years to figure it out. So. <laughs> hey, I got to be 35. I think. Yeah, it, it, listen, <laughs> by then they might take someone in their 20s. And <laughs> pretty much already. So I, I want to I want to dive in a little bit to I mean I, I mean just some of like the aggressive uh, uh, strategy that you've been executing. I'm looking at the numbers and and I think it's somewhere around 12 acquisitions in the in 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 the two or three most recent years. Is that relatively accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. I think in the last two years we've done roughly a dozen acquisitions. Yep. So it's like a warrior in a garden. I just think of Rogan always talking about how, you know, intellectually, physically, like you've got to be like a monster and then know how to turn it on and off. But you'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And as the chief executive officer over Latera, the moves you've made, I mean, you make them seem almost effortless. Like, oh, we did this. Oh, we did that. When we had breakfast last month, it was just like, Oh, I don't think, I don't know if I mentioned this and in how, like, where did the vision come from to be this aggressive in the marketplace? And, and maybe what's the value proposition? What's like the unique value proposition of Latera that allows these other companies to say, yes, this is the best thing for our people and our future is for you to come in and take over. Yeah, you know, we've been very fortunate and I think the success we've had organically growing, so just selling the technology that we create, and then secondarily, inorganically through acquisitions, is happening because the people that we have in this business are humble and low ego. And we are, we all believe we're fortunate to have the ability to sell and provide a software to a marketplace that needs it. And they routinely keep looking to us to solve their problems. So when we sit back and think about strategy and where we want to go, it's, it's under the guise of, A, do we like the investment we're about to make? Because this is exciting to us personally. If it is, that's a good one. But then we look at our customers and what they need from us and why they keep investing in us. So we built a, a focus. I don't call it a strategy. It's a focus that we created about four years ago that says we must, as a brand, do three things successfully over and over and over again, whether it's through M&A, innovation, or go-to-market. Number one is we must help our customers improve their client retention. 
And we believe we can impact our customers and customers are defined as law firms, partners, lawyers. We can help them with their retention of their clients, helping them produce high quality work on time and on budget. So in today's age, corporates are buying legal services from firms based on budget, based on quality, based on technology. So we can be there. So when an RFP comes out and they can check the box and say, yep, we use technology to produce high quality work. Yep, we're going to track time and budgets. And yep, we're going to produce it when you need it. Uh, we think they can win over and over again new matters. Number two, uh, Latera as a brand must have a positive impact on profitability and margin potential at a law firm. And we believe we have an impact there by helping firms find work to do, helping them price that work out the most effective way possible, staff it with the right resources of attorneys and paralegals that are most successful historically on matter work like that. And then finally, removing waste from the process so they can focus on the high value tasks and maybe in their matter. And then the, the final piece of the equation that we want to have a positive impact on is end user happiness. And we define end users as always partners, always lawyers, always paralegals, regardless of where the software lives inside a law firm. We want to make sure that we're impacting them day in and day mm -hmm. out. So that way, when they're producing work for a partner or for their client or for a judge, they're confident in the output and that they know that if a partner gives them a matter to work on, it's been priced correctly, it's been scoped right. So whatever we can do with software and technology to bring a bit of happiness, or how about this, a bit of less unhappiness to being a lawyer, I think we do a good job. So those three things always have to be yeses when we look at acquisitions, always have to be yeses in innovation, and always have to be yes and go to market. When there's any doubt in those three things in decision-making, that decision is not made. Powerful. And so... <laughs> So those those three those three questions, if you will, or the commitments you've made to saying like we will not move forward unless we are we 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 have the commitment that this is the reality of what we're acquiring. How do you how do you give that oxygen and make that come to life in a culture where you have to balance both confident people and then you mentioned humility? which oftentimes is the, the other side of the sword, right? Sometimes extremely confident people do not come off as humble and, and that can create conflict in culture. So first of all, how do you make those three come to life in the culture? And then how are you juggling still developing young, confident, assertive talent that remains humble? It comes down to on the people side is how do you recruit how do you onboard? What are those first 30 days feel like for that person? And how much can you impact? Because in that first 30 days of someone's new job or someone joining the business through M&A, a lot of impact is made, a lot of experiences are had that you base your future decision-making on as a person. So my job, which isn't always perfect, right? We don't always get it right. So first thing is recognizing that as a CEO, you do make mistakes along the way and you have to go back and fix them. We have to spend the time and allow the time to meet with our folks to talk about these things, these three things. Whenever we all, whenever we do all hands, 
talk about these three things. Whenever we have meetings, these three things are top of mind. When you build product roadmaps, you ask the question, how is this product going to have an impact on these three things? So that way it becomes part of the belief system in the business that that is our focus. The second thing that we do is we follow a book called The Advantage that talks about organizational health. And in that, you have to answer six questions as an executive team. One is what's most important to you? How do you do that? Why do you do that? Those type of things. And within that, you ingrain this as well. So you can have a heartbeat to the business that is super uh, top from top down, people can believe in and, and drive towards. So we try to not just make it a slide in a PowerPoint, but it's part of the questioning of roadmap, part of the DNA of presentations uh, and how we evaluate our people when they come in. The humble piece comes from just having very clear values of what you want to achieve and talk about those values openly, regularly, and make sure you actually do your 360 reviews based on those values and not something else. So that way, this becomes part of the business. It's not easy. We get it wrong. We fix it. But it is something that we try to strive for regularly. I think we've been fortunate. I'm super humbled by the fact that we have a 1,000 people in this business today that all just want to do good work and are super empathetic to each other. You know, one thing that I tell my people is, Everybody in this world is allowed to have a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month. We cannot sit here and drive people, especially your peers or the people in the community around you, and expect them to be the best every day. It's just not fair. I'm like, we have to allow ourselves to make mistakes. We have to allow our peers to make mistakes. We have to allow people to have bad days because they have a rough, something's happening at home, or there's civil unrest in their community. We have to allow those things to happen in people's lives, especially now more and more than ever because of work from home and remote access. We just have to give space to empathy. And when you give space to empathy, you naturally develop low ego. And that's where I think you have to, you, you drive really good success and as a business and a brand. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, and obviously I see that in, in, in the relationship that we have on a personal level. Um, uh, it, it, Talk to me uh, about the uh, the characteristics, maybe some of the common characteristics uh, across the leadership team you've assembled. I, I think back to, I, look, I, I don't know the exact number, but I think back to our conversation five years ago when you were first appointed as CEO and you were making the transition. I want to say there was like around 100 employees. I just 85. heard you say 1,000. I just yeah. heard you say around 1,000, and I'm just like, 10x in five years in terms of human power and 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 forget about the sales and the, and the gross revenue numbers. We don't even need to get into that. Now people can find that information relatively easily online. But the characteristics across the leadership team you've assembled over the last five years, there has to be a few traits you specifically look for. You want, for me, I would like to have people around the table that are um, driven to be the best they can be every day, not just at work, not just at work, but at home and in the community. If you have a desire to wake up and realize that the sun is up and realize that today is another day to go perform, then I think you can be successful in anything you do. Now, in leadership, that has to be the case. Right, people look to you to be the heartbeat of the business or the department. And I'm allowed to be tired at 9 p.m. at night. 
Mm -hmm. I cannot be tired during the day. I have to make today the best day for this date, for this month, for this year as possible, right? So you want peers around you that look for those opportunities every day. And then you want people to have the experience and the wherewithal to have done this before. And they're not learning on the job and that you can build trust in. If I ever have to second guess someone's decision-making, then the whole system breaks mm-hmm. because I have to focus on my strength and make that my day-to-day job. I need someone to focus on their strengths and have that be their day job. And we're to trust each other. So my CFO has to trust me to build a strategy and I have to trust that person to make sure that we are fiscally responsible day in, day out with our business. And once that trust is there, you can move really, really, really fast. That That's super helpful. Tell me a little bit about, um, I have to believe, I mean, we've often, ta- you and I have often had conversations around goal setting, uh, you know, having a clear vision, setting clear goals, uh, setting timelines behind those goals. I listened to one of your podcasts, recent, one of the podcasts you were on recently. And of course, you, you were talking about goals and the approach you took to goals at age 25 compared to the vision you now have for when you turn 45 and you still have four or five years before you get there. Uh, talk to me about the way you approach goal setting at 25. And then share a little bit about what's different now as you look at approaching age 45 and the way you aspire to live the rest of your life. You know, at 25 and approaching 30, the goal setting for me, I think for most people should be, is fiscal responsibility and fiscal assurances for the household, right? How do you build that ability to have risk-taking in your future because risk-taking comes from the ability to be able to fall back on something else. Like if you can fall back on something else, you can take that risk because you you have comfort. So having a law degree gave me the comfort to say, let's go try something because I, I could always go back to being a lawyer if things fell apart. And then it was familial. How do you, how do you want to engage with your parents? How do you want to engage with a potential spouse and things like that? Now that we're approaching, now that for me personally, I'm approaching my mid forties, it's what are your future goals? And for me, I view my future goals to be more community. What do I want to do as a legacy? How do I want to impact the people around me? How are we going to impact and make a positive outcome for my kid and her community of kids around her? So that way, maybe instead of just having her be successful, can she help drive people around her to be successful for the next 18 years of her education? So I think you just naturally, for me again, not I naturally have moved into thinking more now outside of me as goal setting. I think for the last 20 years, it was self goal setting. And now I think it's, it's looking more externally. How do you have that impact? Do you, um, do you have any particular system? Uh, you know, I, I heard you reference the advantage earlier. Um, obviously, I, I, I know you're very well read. Do you have a specific system or a book that you've read that's really uh, kind of uh, shaped the perspective and the approach that you take to goal setting today, both as a strategic executive leader of a massive organization and uh, a partner in your home? You know, for the for the company and how we run this business, yeah, I think there's various things we've taken along the way. Advantage being number one and setting rally cries and short-term priorities that lead to long-term successes. Um, I've read a book called the 
called Scaling Up, which talks about 10xing a metric in your business. And I think those two have really cornerstone my approach to this brand. Um, outside of that, full transparency, I really try to be independent in how I view what I want to accomplish. Um, not because I don't think what I've read and experience I've learned are not correct. I think we all have to respect that we have a thumbprint to ourselves. That thumbprint's unique to us. And we've got to mm. figure out what motivates us to be successful and where can we push ourselves to be successful. I cannot set a goal to work out. I cannot set a goal for health purposes, but I can set a goal, other types of goals that I know I will be successful at and drive performance. So it's just, for me, it's just recognizing that we're all our own individual. We're all our own thumbprint. And we have to spend the time thinking about ourselves and being selfish in how we're going to approach taking care of ourselves. Because if we can't take care of ourselves and be happy in the skin that we create, then it's really hard to have a positive, I think, at home or community or work experience. Thanks for sharing that. Um, let, let's pivot uh, a little bit. Any, you know, a, a dozen acquisitions in the last 24 months uh, from a hundred, a thousand people, you know, we're rounding here, uh, in the last five years, uh, so many great things happening. I, I know that failure was consistently present on that path. Uh, talk to me maybe about one of the most recent sort of missteps, you know, kind of moments where you said, Hey, man, if I, if I knew what I knew now, and had the opportunity to do that over, do that again, or the next time an opportunity like that presents itself, uh, here's what I would do now. Talk to us about a recent misstep. What did you take away from that? Um, the ones that I can dive into are, 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 are difficult because they're typically um, um, people-based decisions that you make <laughs> as a leader, right? How do you build a team around you and who's going to sit on that team? And um, and the tough journey that you go on when you scale quickly is um, the people that have been there from the beginning, from a $10 million company, and now you're approaching 200 that ability to scale their skill set comes to a, a fork in the road. A, will I challenge myself and go spend the time to invest and learn on how to do it? Or B, am I going to keep using the same muscle memory from $10 million at a hundred. And I think I sat too long hoping people would make the decision to go left, which is learn, adapt, improve, and top grade my skill set. And by delaying that opportunity for them, I think we may have you know, delayed our successes by a few months. So it's hard to argue because we've done it. We've gotten this big. We always look back and say, how much faster could I have gone had I helped someone make that decision for themselves earlier versus later? The second place that is a recent um, realization is the acquisitions that we did between March 2020 and December 2020, so the first nine months of the pandemic, were actually fairly I don't use it easy. They were very much textbook for us in playbook. Even without seeing someone face-to-face, -face, we could run our playbook as if we were face-to-face -face and it, were, it was successful. Primarily driven by the fact that people were had been working from home for just a short period of time. So everything was still fairly new. The acquisitions we've done this year, I'm learning now sitting all six months past acquisition dates for some of the early ones this year. 
is we ha- we should have rewritten it uh, a bit for this term because now folks have been home for a year. They may not have even seen their CEO in a year face to face. They haven't seen their peers in over a year face to face. And now we're a whole new entity coming in the picture saying, here's our playbook. Here's, here is, we like using Teams. You like using Slack. We like using Outlook. <laughs> you like using Gmail. These are things typically are, are not issues because you can spend time building trust. But now that people have been home for so long and there's a remoteness to the relationship for everybody for such a long period of time, we, I think we were a little slow to adapt to that needs. We're doing it now. And I think part, and I take the blame on that quite a bit. I need to dedicate more of my time to be in this relationship with people face-to-face over Zoom or Teams at a much greater, much greater amount of time than I was. I felt like I was doing a lot at 10 hours a week, but maybe my time needs to be 40 hours a week with individuals and giving them more of my time uh, going forward. So this is something I'm learning now and adapting to saying, wait, I think we may have missed something here where usually an acquisition would see me or other executives face-to-face a lot the first nine days. Now they're getting nothing beyond you know, large team gathering. So we're adapting and learning, but those are probably two areas where, again, they're all people-related um, and missteps on where I thought I was spending my time in decision-making. Well, in the, uh, and uh, that, I mean, that second one really resonates for me, uh, as we've discussed before, we've recently gone through two mergers here in the state of Michigan, and uh, creating more space on the calendar to share the vision, the, the why behind the vision, uh, the, 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 the spoke that each person plays in, in, in the, the big picture of the wheel and how they drive and contribute to the overall success. And really just going on these listening tours, I realized that I'm like, gosh, I can't believe I waited six months to realize that we need to create more space on the calendar for this with our new teammates, our new family, uh, you know, <laughs> our, our, our new organization. And so right. that, that really hit home for me when you just said that. I, it makes me think back to your previous comment, though, where you mentioned that, you know, when you trust those teammates, uh, I was jotting notes here, right? When you, when you can trust those teammates to do what they should be doing, it gives you a lot more peace of mind and confidence to increase your availability over here. That's right. I'd have That's to right. believe. That's right. And when you, and you can tell, I think you, you, I can tell just based on my calendar over the last 18 months and how it shifted where when trust is high how much my availability is towards the team versus when the trust is low how much my availability is more towards operations and running the business and it's a fine balance of what you have to figure out is great for your brand and business and we are also different being software a software company greater amount of our people today and going in the future will not be near an office that we have so we, you know, every CEO is learning, or if they have already done it, great, but they're learning how do you manage potentially a thousand offices versus five offices or six mm-hmm. offices? Because you, you have to now bring yourself into someone's home office and make an impact that is just like a face to face town hall that you may have done previously, or you'd walk down the hall and say, Hey, you look like Things aren't happening. What's going on? Let's talk about it. How can I help you get through whatever hurdle you have? And those those opportunities are all gone. And so it's a lot more. There's a lot more intent behind uh, culture maintenance and making sure people are doing okay. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, if 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 the last five years are a, a, a decent predictor of the next five, Latera's gonna be just a monster employer to humanity. Uh, what's the message to young professionals, people aspiring to be able to earn an opportunity to meet with your organization? What's the message to them? What should they be focused on? Uh, what skill sets? Where should they be upskilling? Um, what does Latera see as value add from someone, you know, a few years out of college or a 10-year sales executive? I think regardless of age and tenure, the number one thing that uh, is a needle mover, not just at Latera, but I have to imagine most organizations is recognizing what customer service means mm-hmm. and what does it mean to um, be customer focused, be customer centric, which is a word we use here internally. And how do you use that in whatever it is you're doing, whether you're a developer, whether you're in support, whether you're in marketing or in finance, how do you bring customer centricity into your day-to-day belief system and day-to-day operation? Because that, regardless of where you work, gives you longevity and gives you the ability to make decisions faster because you know what's a positive outcome for my customers and what could be a negative outcome for my customers, the more you're in tune with that, with that segment. So that to me is an advice that I would give to anybody coming out of college is this notion that you can, you can be book smart, you can be uh, advanced in technology, but if you're not uh, willing to be customer-centric or be in the shoes of the customer at some point, I think it's really difficult to build compassion, empathy, uh, and passion for whatever it is you're doing. Where is Latera's greatest hiring need today? It's a challenging marketplace, but we are we are looking to um, always uh, increase the capacity skill set within our go-to-market teams and sales and marketing. We're always looking to bring the best, brightest minds in development and product. But if you looked at the 200 plus openings we have, it's across the entire business, right? There isn't like one big pool that needs to be uh hired in it's 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 we are looking to bring pieces people into our business that contribute in every part of our business yeah i'm still waiting for uh you or Minnie to send me that link to the head of sales position <laughs> as many would tell you i don't think you want to work for me <laughs> <laughs> um so you know i it it it's right. There, it is a challenging marketplace, right? We always talk about the war for talent. And one thing, though, that I've been pleasantly surprised about recently in conversations with candidates, we've been hiring both at entry level positions and executive roles. You know, I had two people who don't know each other. Meetings were weeks apart and they both talked about saying, you know, I'm just looking for a great place with a strong culture where I will be inspired. Yeah, Isn't that sounds that- right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's 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 the right attitude. I think yeah, it isn't just a paycheck. It's not about the paycheck. It's right. not about benefits. It's not about benefits. Those are all things that I think every company now can 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 provide. It is about the engagement level. It's about the clarity of vision. Yeah, I think that's that's wholeheartedly what people are looking to, myself included. Right? I want to know 
that I believe in what we're doing. I want to believe in uh, our ownership and what they want to do. Top down, you have to have some conviction of where the business is going. Uh, I, I know we kind of uh, touched on it throughout the last 45 minutes, but get, uh, in, in the least amount of words possible, the vision for Latera over the next five to 10 years, what is that? So we're going to be primarily still focused on the legal industry. And, and what we want to do is become the brand that law firms look to to solve problems globally within their business, whether it's the lawyers and their productivity, whether it's the um, CFO who's concerned about budgets and profitability, whether it's the CMO concerned about business development and winning more business, or whether it's the COO and making sure profitability. We want to be the organization that is highly trusted and engaged in the marketplace that firms look to first to solve their problems. And then we either give them the solution, we build it with them, or we go acquire it. So we want to be a highly trusted, valuable vendor partner for the entire legal marketplace globally in the next five to seven years. What's uh, the end game for you, whether it's five years or uh, 25 years down the road? I would love to see this brand become a $500 million powerhouse that is contributing success, that's contributing successfully globally in the marketplace, making an impact in all the regions that we have people and continue to take a stand for human rights and initiatives that make a difference beyond the calling of what we do as a business. Um, there are four things that I've asked us to focus on in the near term as a business. Um, number one is we must be centered on user experience and how people interact with Latera. Number two, we must be product centered. So that way our technology works as we expect. Number three, we must give white glove service to our customers and make sure they feel that Latera is here as a true partnership and not a vendor. And then finally, one of our four biggest priorities in the short term, media term, and long term is our people. It is a non-market facing priority. It is internally stated to say, we must spend so much time on our people and make sure they feel engaged in this business at home and in the community that we make a difference as a brand. So those are our four key priorities for the next 18, 24 months with people, I believe, being a long-term priority of ours for the foreseeable future while I'm still at home. I love that. Um, so as you know, at the podium has a concentrated focus and following from professional athletes, entertainers, business owners, and chief executive or C-suite officers. Uh, if someone in that ecosystem, specifically the latter, is looking to get in touch with you, what's the simplest way to reach you? Uh, don't find me on Instagram, although I am there. Uh, no, I, you know, look, I think it's easy. Just shoot me an email. Uh, it's amarwahaelotera.com. And I love to have conversations. I just had one today prior to us getting together with a CEO here in Chicago, where we we're talking about how do we increase the visibility of what B2B software is doing in Chicago? Hmm. Why is it still not known that this city is producing some multi-billion dollar enterprise value organizations. And why does that get buried uh, within the successes that we have here? And 
you know, we're a quiet company and we're headquartered in Chicago. We're very quiet. We're, you know, worth a couple of billion dollars of enterprise value. Um, and we're, you know, we don't look for, you know, none of us want notoriety. We don't want the visibility, but as a city that's producing potentially the second largest amount of engineers and developers out of college, they should stay in the city of Chicago and they should be focused on making this city a powerhouse of software in the future. Um, but something is, we've got to work on that. And there's got to be some brand development for this city. So uh, randomly, this person reached out, we had a great conversation. And I think we're looking to do more of that um, in all the cities that we are part of. Uh, but being headquartered here and, and, and selfishly, this being my uh, bloodstream, we want to have, we want to find a way to, to continue to advance the, the visibility of software in Chicago. It's an investable asset. We want to bring more dollars into the city over time. So we're excited about that opportunity to please talk about it. Well, it was uh, almost uh, an hour, but it was an incredibly uh, um, entertaining conversation with one of the brightest minds uh, that I've had the privilege to get to know intimately, Avanish Marwaha, the CEO of Litera Microsystems, uh, just doing incredible things, folks. Uh, keep them on your watch. And as you heard from Avanish, simplest way to get in touch with him is his email. And Avanish, listen, man, thanks. I mean, this this forced us uh, to have another hour together and I'm um, just thankful for your friendship. I appreciate it, man. And I was thinking that we should just had someone come cut both of our hairs during this hour. And it would have been fantastic for the viewership to really take into that two years of our life. No, but I really appreciate it. I think what you've done here at the podium has been pretty, pretty cool to watch. So thanks for having me. Hey, let's agree. A year from now, when you have another three to a half dozen new acquisitions, we're going to do part two and 2.0 will be at a barbershop. In the chair. In the chair. chair. (laughs) All right, man. Appreciate you. All right, man. Thank you. Love.